calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Oh, who's our god dragon? Yes, you are. Yes, you are! My name is Aram. My pronouns are he, him. I'm the writer and producer of the Dungeon & Dragons podcast, God's Fall. My name's Dylan. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm a physicist from Canada. Welcome to Kill Every Monster. This week on Kill Every Monster, we are featuring the Deva. The Monster Manual describes Devas as angels that act as divine messengers or agents to the material plane, the Shadowfell, and the Feywild, and that can assume a form appropriate to the realm they are sent to. Legend tells of angels that take mortal form for years, lending aid, hope, and courage to good-hearted folk. A deva can take any shape, although it prefers to appear to mortals as an innocuous humanoid or animal. When circumstances require that it cast off its guise, a deva is a beautiful humanoid-like creature with silvery skin. Its hair and eyes gleam with an unearthly luster, and large feathery wings unfurl from its shoulder blades. This episode, we are joined by RK. RK, whose pronouns are they, them, is a pro-GM, podcaster, streamer, writer, safety consultant, and event organizer. They are the creator of the podcast Prism Pals and the soon-to-be-released horror podcast Fear in Living Color. They are also the safety consultant for the professional GMing site Start Playing Games. You can find them online on Twitter at Russ Wildest. Welcome to the show, RK. Thanks for having me. Always good to see you, my friend. So tell us, what is a deva? So a deva in D&D, according to the lore, is just a man. <laughs> just a big, big god construct. Got a big stick. You need a whacking stick if you're going to be a big guy. He's got a whacking stick if he's just a deva. He's got a bigger stick if he's a solar. And he's got an even bigger one if he's a planetar or whatever the hierarchy of it is. That was in the Bible. Yay, the angels get larger, and so do their sticks. 
Hold on a second. It doesn't actually scale like that. It isn't mace, longsword, greatsword, is it? Because Yes, it is, I believe. Fuck off. As you get to be a bigger, tougher angel, you get a bigger, tougher weapon because that's how angels work. Okay, you talk about something that matters. I'm going to look into the thing that bothers me specifically. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, so according to D&D lore, they are divine constructs is the way it's been phrased. They're just kind of pulled out of the minds of a god and just made. And like they function in like an army and everything with the other, the other celestials in their core or whatever. Uh, Dylan, you look like you've gotten an answer and you have that for us. It's Mace Greatsword Greatsword, but the Greatswords do in fact get larger. Yes. Like, even just the way they're drawn in the art, it specifically gets slightly bigger. Just a man with a sword. It's a greater great sword. The greatest sword. And I believe in one of them, he's blue. Yeah, that's Planetar. It goes from really white to blue for some reason, back to regular white. It's so pale, they had to go in a circle. That's what Davas are according to D&D lore. Where D&D pulls Davas from is Theosophy, which is this belief in the 70s that the sun is named Solar and is filled with living creatures made of energy called Davas. Davas are energy in many respects. There's a point, there's another point, and there's the energy which connects those points. That is David life. But the actual name Devas is pulled from mythology from other cultures, from Hinduism, Buddhism, Zoroastrianism, like all of them use that to mean different things. So in like very, very early versions of Hinduism, Deva was kind of a catch-all for any sort of divine being. We're talking gods, we're talking spirits of nature, we're talking demons. And then eventually it split into Devas and Asuras. Devas being categorized as good and Asuras being categorized as bad, but still higher beings. They're all higher beings still. So white folks in the 70s who were off the rockers decided we're going to take this word that means any amount of divine creatures and make it into energy beings that live in the sun. And then D&D &D went angels. The sun is a god. Anything that lives in the sun must be an angel. That makes perfect sense. They truly just like took the concept and went, well, we've only heard of Christianity, so this whole thing, angels. What's a cool mythology name I know? Good, that'll work for angels. They read the syllabus for Mythology 101 and then based the game off of it. Which is a little extra baffling given that, like, regular Christian angels have a hierarchy. You could have a stat block in there for Seraphim, but we were like, no, no, no. There's like 14 different classes of angels in Christianity. Yeah. You could make a stat block for each of them. Some of them are, have really cool names, like, hey, 
there's an entire group of angels in Christianity that are known as thrones. Thrones are the creatures that function as the actual chariots of God, driven by the cherubs. They are characterized by peace and submission. God rests upon them. Thrones are depicted as great wheels containing many eyes and reside in the area of the cosmos where material form begins to take shape. They chant glorious to God and remain forever in his presence. They met out divine justice and maintained the cosmic harmony of all universal laws. Every angel in Christianity way cooler as an enemy than dude with wings and beating stick. I don't know if either of you are very well versed in Hindu mythology. It's wild. There are so many battles and different things going on and different gods having different relationships with other people. It is a beautiful, wonderful mess. People always say that the Greek gods have messy relationships. It's nothing compared to the Hindu gods. Hindu gods are just like tearing each other apart, turning each other into weapons, doing everything. It's it's all over the place. It's why I'm always baffled when people pull from Christian uh, mythology for like names and bases for myths. Because like, really, the Bible doesn't have anything interesting going on that isn't about people. The angels don't get up to shit. The angels interfere with our shit. The only angel who does anything is the one who guards Eden, and that's it. He just has a fire sword. Truly the inspiration for Deva's fire sword. India before colonizers showed up was not one country. It was a bunch of different nations that were completely separate. In fact, in a recent census that they took of India, there are over 95 different languages that are spoken in the country with even more dialects. There are all these diverse people in diverse groups who all had very different stories and very different tales that ended up merging together because of the fact that they were more or less forced into a nation together, right? So there's all these sort of tales that have been changed and there are different sources that say different things. It is a such a rich but also confusing history but I kind of love that about it. Another issue that I have with the Davids, besides all the washing, whitewashing of them, is how boring the Davids are. Like, it's a big issue with all, of, all three of the celestial quote-unquote angels, is that each of them is the same exact thing, except they just increased a few numbers here or there. Like, it hit a little harder. Healing touch, change shape, a mace, some innate spell casting, that's basically it. Which becomes a problem because at that level of challenge, it's usually if a party winds up fighting an angel and it's a monster manual, so let's be honest, everyone's using it to find things to fight. I don't know, I call that the boyfriend brochure. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who's been around since like 3.5 will know what I'm talking about when I say that it's just a claw claw bite. It's a bear. With wings. And a mace. This bear flies. It has a healing touch. That doesn't matter because it's probably going to be against your party. The the healing touch is like, it's not going to be in combat. It's going to be like, it's going to be to heal your party or to raise one of your party members from the dead. That's why this character would probably show up. Mechanically, that's why this character would show up. But yeah, it's like, it, otherwise, it's very boring. 
unless you're running like an evil party but even yeah. then that is just a slog fest because at the higher levels they regenerate or they have like immunity to certain spells and things and it just becomes like a did i hit no great next turn did i hit no great next turn oh i hit but it regenerated everything Oh, you did hit. It didn't regenerate all of it. Now it's down to 190 out of 200 hit points. Who wants to go next? Fucking great. There's no way to end the fight. Got an angel that has no movement other than its fly speed. So it just goes everywhere 90 feet. It doesn't teleport. It doesn't ethereal jump. Like it doesn't do anything. Just fly around. It doesn't make any sense. I, I, I hate creatures like, like this where the fight should be able to end at any second. They should just be able to be like, peace out, and I'm back in heaven or wherever, right? But it can't. It's got to stick there. So you have to, again, as you're saying, Russ, slog it out for no real reason and doesn't really get you anything narratively. It looks like it's trying to escape and you're trying to stop it and it's taking hits and it's getting like more towards a goal to get away from you. That seems interesting. Otherwise, yeah, it's just a big angel there. Yeah, it, it's just a it's just a bag of hit points to beat up. 21 challenge, 21 AC, 240 hit points. Like, it's not a fun fight because it's got all of these healing abilities that it can presumably use on itself. I'm not going to bother checking that. Uh, <laughs> and otherwise, it, it hits with a sword or it blinds the spellcaster and renders them useless because nearly all spells call out a target you can see. Part of the thing that I dislike about them, in addition, is that, like, when you have these angels which are lawful good it can be very difficult to incorporate that into a story. If your characters are good, it can be difficult. If you have an evil campaign, great. Deva will come to try and stop them. It's a militaristic lawful good, which is a very specific lawful good yeah. that is hard to thread that needle, unless you're using it as a punishment. It's, it's fascist good. It's fascist yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. The gods, they're technically celestial cops, if you think about it. I know that the monster manual is like, they're messengers, they're celestial cops. Okay, hold on though, if you're a messenger, why do you need a sword that big? Big sword is a very clear message. What is this, Teddy Roosevelt? Fly quietly, carry a big sword. It's not even hot, like... The other ones are at least a little hot. The Deva is so unsexy. It's the haircut. It's the haircut. If they cut off that bowl haircut and just made him bald, he'd be way hotter. The planetar is just green and bald. That's the only change from the solar or from the uh, Deva. And the planetar is considerably hotter. I wouldn't go all the way to hot yet. Agreed. But considerable improvement. It's weird to me that the planetar is the one that looks like Martian Manhunter and loses the change shape ability. Why wouldn't they all be able to change shape? Because the devas have the specific purpose of being a messenger. Wrong monster, but let's quickly fix the uh, planetar by just replacing them with Martian Manhunter. Sure. Like, just, just fully. Just let them go through walls. I guess, like, if you are making specific creatures and they are created they're pulled from the ether like you do exactly this job i suppose one can shape shift and one can't i guess that does yeah. make sense also kind of is weird it seems like if they were really 
angels, right? And they were really made out of celestial energy that they could just become, they, like they should be like terminators. They should be able to be whatever they need to be in the moment, not just set in stone. I was going to say that the Terminator didn't shapeshift. They like slapped the skin on it. But then the next movie was specifically one that did shapeshift. The really scary one. The one that should have killed them and everyone else very easily. Is D&D's Deva a monster? By D&D's definition, yes. By my definition, no, it's boring. It is, yeah. it is a man. It is, like I said at the beginning, it's just a man. It's just a dude yep. who shows up in your house and says, hello, I have a message to you from God. Okay, goodbye, and leaves. He is the mailman of the D&D universe. Mailman's not a monster. For my personal definition, you could make a case for it being a monster, despite the intelligence, because it is effectively a very intelligent robot. They are lawful before they are good. If an angel mistakes you or gets a wrong command or, or for some reason, like you pick up the wrong MacGuffin and now the angel's like, no, you must stop. Yes, they are in that moment kind of monstrous, but you're right. They're not a monster. Five E Davis, how do we make them better give them an interesting weapon make them more than a messenger or and this is fun davis can change shape into humanoids or animals make them an animal companion who's just hanging around just hanging around for a long time or make them like the friendly npc who just always shows up at the right time and is like look i have herbs and cells for you but isn't using any of them properly, but still manages to heal you. Sure, right. Always has like some miracle cure. I like that. I, I especially like the animal companion idea because it is real easy with a D&D party to play up an animal companion as if it kind of understands you, as if there's kind of some connection, and then later on reveal, oh no, it was just an angel. Hello, I am Oikos. I have been with you the whole time. All you have to do to change the Deva is give the exact same stat block, lose the mace, and then just give it. Any Deva has one of the following weapons. It is a bag of hit points you and your players get to punch or miss, and it's pouring. And in a game where you can literally make up anything you want, being boring is one of the worst things you could be. You decided claw, claw, bite. And you decided to make a bear. A celestial bear. So the thing with devas and how they're built and everything is that, like I said, they're boring. They're boring to fight. They're boring for stories. But if you pull from other mythos, if you like bring devas back to the original Hindu mythology, they become so much more interesting because they can truly be anything. If you don't want to go through that whole process, like if you don't want to go through the process of being like, okay, let's research mythos and figure out which Dave I would like to use for this. What you can do instead is make a tiny change and change the weapon. Now, I don't mean just replace the mace with a bigger mace, but I mean pull a weapon from mythology and give it to them. 
even like a non-Western weapon, like a non-European weapon. There are so many cool weapons within uh, other countries, especially India. One of them, which I absolutely love, is called the Vajra, V-A-J-R-A, for anyone who wants to look it up. And it looks like a double-sided three-pronged like club that you would just like stab and slam into people. It's like a short, thick rod with a pair of closed talons on either end of it that almost form mace heads or perhaps a crown. Within the mythos of Hinduism, it is the weapon of the god Indra. Uh, It is said to be as tough as diamonds and shoot lightning. If you instead look at Buddhism, the Vajra is in the Bo- in Buddhism as well, where it's said to be an item of peace where the Buddha found Indra's Vajra and closed the three prongs in a symbol of peace instead of violence. And it's used in Buddhist mythology as well. Like, it's so cool. Like, it's legitimately a weapon that's just, like, incredibly interesting to have this weapon that, like, in one form is violence and then in another form creates peace that would be an incredible weapon to give a deva it tells a story and if you're if if you're dealing with an angel there should always be a narrative reason to deal with an angel it should never just be you're just gonna pick a fight with the angel guard there should be a reason to fight them and if every angel has a story about them and their weapons and and it helps tell like what kind of angel they are what their motives are and what lessons there are to be learned from them the fact that the weapon can reflect that is really interesting or even maybe it's not their weapon they work for gods right It could be a god's weapon that they've taken or borrowed, or maybe if they've strayed from their quote-unquote alignment, stolen. Maybe they've taken a weapon they shouldn't be using because they think the gods are ineffective. Maybe they think that I will do better with this than my lord will, and I will make the world a better place. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So we're going to do the the kind of standard fantasy, start off from an aerial view. We can see the countryside. We can see this big, sprawling city. Mm -hmm. 
the huge majestic spire, the crackles of purple and pink from the mages that definitely dwell within. Pan fucking away from that, because that's useless to us today. We're going to go out basically past the first set of farms, right around to where things get real boring. There aren't woods. It's not even a marshland. There's a river nearby. But mostly, we're in transit area. We kind of pan downward into a small town. And we're going to start off with Aram this time. How have you been tracking your target to this town? I have a wagon. And this wagon is filled with different crystals and measurements and balances and scales and weights. And I have a variety of techniques I will employ. Some of them are literally like taking readings of pressure in the air or parts of silver per foot, right? Things like that. And then some of them are just like old wives tales, like make a, you know, a circle of salt. And so there's like this combination of all this information I've gathered and just tons of books, so many books. I've just been piecing together this puzzle of what these creatures are or what divine power is. And one of these things I I have is just, you know, the same thing that you would, you know, just a diviner, just two metal rods that I hold in my hand and I'll walk outside a settlement. And if they cross as I'm walking around somewhere in that town, there's a powerful divine presence. I'm going to say you've been in town for probably a couple of days. Enough to sort of narrow things down. There are a handful of buildings, and the measurements are complex enough that it's not really just like... When you're trying to narrow it down, it's not walk up to the door. Oh no, the thing's crossed, found them. Like, it's... There's a bit of song and dance to it. So, you've kind of narrowed things down to... This divine presence is at the end. All three days, every one of your measurements at all times of day... And you've been measuring at all times of day without sleep. Describe yourself as you walk in the front door. Typical traveler to an inn. I am covered head to toe in a long cloak. You can just see uh, a heavy set of, like a real heavy set of boots sticking out. I walk with a very heavy gait. I stand about six and a half feet tall and my voice is hollow and deep. And immediately, as it tends to, a six and a half foot man, this isn't even a fantasy issue. Six and a half foot tall person walks into the room everyone looks in modern day. I do like to be a little bit more discreet in my reading, so this is unfortunate, but at some point you have to directly engage with the science. Well, get a load of that big fellow. Betty eats well, eh? <laughs> Amongst the heads turning to this new occurrence, I would assume, maybe you ignore it, uh, is RK. You want to describe yourself for us? Ooh, 
in this tavern amongst all the ruffians, travelers, and people who live here, there is one who sits in front of the fire, or rather lays, basks, a old gray Irish wolfhound. Scraggly hair, who just looks very tired. They don't really look up at you, but more sort of just like peek open one eye, then like close it again. Uh, and then just like shuffle around in their spot to get comfy again. Around their neck is a collar uh, with a beaten up piece of metal that looks like it was probably a piece of scrap metal that is engraved with the name Professor Scrufferton. And they are just resting in front of the fire with a large, like, I would say a venison bone, like a deer bone next to them that's a bit chewed up. So, Aram, as you sort of take stock, as you look around the room, there are farmers who are clearly on their way to or from market. You can usually kind of figure out because the ones on their way into town seem a little bit tired, a little bit stressed, a little bit anxious. And then there are the ones who are enjoying a meal, something nice, something with meat in it. There's the bartender who's looking around and just trying to keep stock of everyone moving around. They make eye contact with you and there's a little wave of like, if you need anything, yeah. and they go back to ensuring that like, okay, this man needs to be topped up. This lady is just getting some food. Need to make sure she's going, she's bringing something home to the family. So we got to make sure that's packed up neat. Just running back and forth. I don't understand any of those interactions, all alien to me. And it's definitely not the merchants because capitalists all go to hell. Yes. So out of the people here, logically, it has to be the bartender. They are in charge. And of course, this creature would be in charge. So I'm going straight to the bartender. And everyone you walk past, of course, like gives you the weird look on the way by, but then just townies, whatever. And you finally get up to the bar. And there's the bartender. This is the person uh, who's getting up there in the years wearing like a fairly large apron, uh, just like burlap. Hard to see what they're wearing under it with uh, just a little bit of beard going. It looks like they make an effort to shave, but it's when they can. Greetings, human. Uh, actually, my mother was an elf. Uh, how can I help you? Like, as soon as they say elf, like, there's just, like, just staring at you very intensely, and then just nods. I am here for... And then leans in, and the whole bar kind of creaks. Your mace. He just kind of leans in conspiratorially, like, I don't have mace. Playing hard to get, are we? So we have, uh, we have time. Uh, we, we grow some oregano nearby. Uh, usually we can get a little bit of rosemary. It's been a weird season. It's not coming in that nice. We can get you like scraps. I'm going to have to charge you a little bit more because it's coming in at a premium. This metallic hand slides out from the robe and it's this big, huge armored forearm, but it's articulated and moves as if it's alive because it is. And all along the metal are all these little circles 
that can turn, and the circles have various hash marks on them, and the armor has a bunch of different hash marks on them. And as all the circles turn, they align to make draconic ruins, and that activates all of the magic that I cast. So all those ruins line up, and unfolding from my palm is a lantern, and those ruins line up, and then it just glows with silvery light. If this person is divine, this light will turn golden. Like if he specifically or if someone divine nearby? Within 30 feet. I do know a guy that should be coming by with nutmeg, and I know that's related, but like I said, no, we don't have mace to hand. There is nothing more boring than humans talking about food, and I would start to walk around the room. Can Professor Scrufferton hear all of this? Professor Scrufferton is a dog, so he would absolutely have keen senses. So, like, even if I were going to make you roll perception, you'd have advantage. So, Professor Scrufferton, hearing this sort of conversation, is going to go into the kitchen where they're not supposed to be and knock over something important with their long, like, flingy tail. You walk over, and there's one cook. It's a it's a line cook. He was a he was a uh, dishwasher up until now, but the head has gone home, and like just recently got his promotion. And he loves Professor Scrufferton. So like the moment you walk in, he's like, "Bud, you're not supposed to be in here. Come on!" And he just starts giving you like little, little switches. Like, you gotta go. You gotta go. And you just angle your ass, just tilt over a little bit, so that you're wagging, and you just let it catch a little bit on the stove. And then you swing over to some little, like, dried herbs they have dangling over. It's like the bouquet garni they usually use for, like, a soup. And you just light this little bundle of string and leaves on fire. I'm not trying to burn the place down, but I'm trying to create a sort of small distraction. Oh, no, professor. You're doing this with your butt while someone is petting your head. So the <laughs> moment, like, this lights up and it immediately smells, uh, he looks up and just, Jesus Christ. And he just... Pelor's ass. I don't know. Whatever fucking exclamation they use in these parts. Pelor's ass. As gently as he can, but still with force, like pushes you off to the side and just sprints across the kitchen and just starts trying to like put out the fire. Like doesn't want to dunk it in water, but he's trying not to like ruin the herbs. And he is fundamentally distracted. He's making a racket, like knocking pans around and shit. After Professor Scrufferton gets pushed away, fully just going to leave the kitchen. Um... And just like, there's going to be enough racket that the bartender gets distracted a little bit. Yeah. And is fully just holding the the bone in their mouth and is going to go back and lay down by the fire. And this person who just entered this whole vicinity, entered the bar, would hear in their head, What do you want with a mace? You like flinch and look away and yeah. immediately the bartender's like, I'm sorry, he's he's new in his job. I really need to go look at what's going on in there. Tend to your needs, meat. I have other concerns. And I would immediately turn from the bar, swing my lantern around, and begin pacing back and forth. As I think in my mind... Ah, there you are. I see my methods are proven correct. And at this point, with you speaking ambiently to the room... Uh, the people who aren't, like, at tables are, like, shifting their positions to, like, give a little bit of birth to the weird magic lantern fella who's just, like, 
talking? Because I'm talking out loud. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm thinking, but at the same point, I'm just speaking these words out loud. I don't care what anyone thinks of me. What's the thing? The uh, the Deva has telepathy. You don't. Selective telepathy. Also, it would be hard. It would be, it would be hard to, like, willingly think words and separate that from what you think anyway. Like, that would be a difficult thing to do. You might as well just talk out loud. Telepathy falls under languages for most stat blocks, so unless it specifies otherwise, I'm assuming that that's projection. If something has telepathy, it has telepathy. You don't. It can't read your mind. It can just tell you what it's thinking. And also you understand it whatever language it's in. Yeah. So I'm walking around waving this lantern back and forth and thinking back. Yes. You see that I have come for you. Come for who? And I would stop. Why you? And I'm now like actively just turning in a circle, seeing if the lantern gets any brighter as I rotate. And in fact, I'm not turning. I've just stopped and my upper body is now rotating in just a circle. pivoting at the waist. And people are starting to leave the bar. You're, you're sitting there very, very smug because as they leave the bar, the glow isn't dimming. And like, you're just kind of trying to parse that like, Okay, over in this side of the bar. You start wandering over towards the fire. As this warforge would come around the fire, they would find, sitting right in front of the fire, wagging their tail, like fully just looking at them with the bone in the mouth, is Professor Scrufferton. All right, is there anyone else? Is there any other creature... <laughs> In this area, except the dog. There was absolutely like a dwarf that was sitting like nearby, a little ways away. I don't know why I've decided this, but culturally dwarves not a fan of dogs. It's just a thing. Not against them, but like, don't get why they have them. People who live solitary lives in the mountains are definitely cat people. I gotcha. Not a discomfort, just like, fine, I guess I'm hanging out with a dog today. And then you wander over and the dwarf just looks over shine the light up and down them. She notices this as she's walking out and it's, you just get that look back. like, what the fuck is your deal? And so I'm just left with the dog. You're left with a dog. There's an empty chair now. I stare at the dog for a moment, contemplate things, then walk over a big, huge hulking frame and then kneel down until I'm very low, almost looking directly into the dog's eyes. Okay, are you, like, sitting there or laying down? I I'm sitting there. It's just going to say, six foot six, you are never getting low enough to look this dog <laughs> in the eye. Right, like, as low as I can get comfortably. Just a Warforge laying down on the floor so it can stare a dog in the face. Fantastic image, but alas. And because I'm a logical being, and because all other options have been eliminated, I would go, Hello, creature. Interesting form you have chosen. Wag the tail. <laughs> kind of do like the, the like puppy hops where like they're sitting, but their front paws are excited and need something. <laughs> and I would reach out. I would think that, you know, I'm not heartless. I'm amused. I think everyone is amused by a happy dog. I, I, I don't care what be. kind of creature you would be. Everyone is a little amused by a happy dog. So I would reach out. Even dwarves love happy dogs. With these giant metallic fingers and very gently just rub alongside the dog's chin. 
Okay. Dog lets you scratch it. Seems satisfied. You are a very good boy. So you must know why I am here. Because you are a fool on a fool's errand. I can make this simple. I'm here for your mace. I'm sure you can find a new one. This doesn't have to be a difficult transaction. I believe you can just give it to me. Unfortunately, my mace is not forgiven. It is part of myself. But I do have a gift that you could have, should you wish it. And the dog places the bone in your hand. I look at the bone, like scan it, which is the equivalent. I can detect magic on it. What am I seeing? It's a bone. Right. Okay. The people of this tavern have given that to me as a gift and a treat. Spin it in my fingers and I would place it back down. This is very generous of you. But the problem is this. I'm faced with stagnation. I can't tolerate stagnation. And you, my friend, were born from it. You were pulled out of a moment, locked in time, never meant to be anything else but exactly what you are. And given all this power, all this divine authority, all of this righteousness, what do you do? You sit here with a bone. And I just can't live in a world that would let that be. Dog kind of like does like a little shimmy sort of and straightens up and says, I am here on a mission. My mission requires me to be hidden for now. The line cook, and looks towards the back, is on a path. I'm here to help guide them. As you, like, look over there, you can see the line cook just, like, desperately apologizing, like, gesturing over towards where you are. When the line cook looks over, dog's just gonna look over and give, like, one of those dog winks, where they're not trying to wink, but they just, like, close one eye. And people give that an intonation, but dogs don't understand. So I've been watching that whole interaction. I heard what you said, followed your eyes to Norval, and then went right back to you. And in that moment, got all the information I needed. I would pull a single gem out of my pocket, this little clear, almost diamond-like gem with a swirling current within it. And I'd look you directly in the eyes. You will provide me with this mace now, or your line cook dies and I'd flick the stone towards him. And as soon as it hit the wall next to the kitchen, it would explode into an air elemental. And you just hear from the back, Norville just like, oh, gods, Pamela's ass. It's the worst day this guy's had at this place. 
<laughs> you just make a minimum wage trying to wash some dishes. This is bullshit. I want that air elemental to gather this guy. This is now my bargaining chip to get what I want. I love that the fight starts out between a giant robot and a dog. Also, a line cook and an angry cloud. <laughs> Let's not forget all of our combatants. I roll with advantage on initiative because I have robot helmet. My first roll was a six. Second roll was a three. I kind of rolled a six and a three. I'm going to say that I think I rolled the highest with a 22. You definitely did because Norval ran, rolled an eight and the air elemental got a 14 plus five. Oh, well, the air elemental got a 19. Don't give a shit about the robot. Who cares about the robot? That's not my mission. Norville is my mission, which means right off the bat, I am transforming into my Deva form. Is that how it works? Transform! Yes. Digimon Digivolve to Angel. <laughs> it's true. They go from rookie straight to mega. That's how it works. How does it look? How does it look when your Deva transforms? I think that for Professor Scarfertin, which that isn't his their actual angel name, but that is no. the name they've taken on in this form, <laughs> also known as Scruffy. I want you to know that I resent this, and I feel like it should be Professor Scrufferton the angel, but that's fine. That's fine. You're the player. That's your call. I do want all the angels to have dog names now. That would be amazing. Listen, they can still call them Professor Scrufferton. It's just not yeah. their dead name, I guess, at this <laughs> point. When the David transforms from Professor Scrufferton... I don't think it's a fun transformation. I don't think it's like, or at least not a fun transformation to watch. Almost like Professor Scrufferton's form seems to like melt away from an inside source of heat and flame. And then a person steps out of the ash. with giant wings. Yeah, that's upsetting. It's not a pretty transformation. It's not like Magical Girl transformation where you just turn a color, then boom, you're done. Uh, it's horrifying. And they truly just look at this uh, Warforged and just like say in their head, you've made a mistake and then fly towards the air elemental at their 90 feet per turn. I'd like you to describe uh, what Professor Scrufferton's true form looks like. Can I just make it up? Do I have to go with what the book says? Oh no, go with whatever you want to do. Fuck that. The book is goofity. Great. So Professor Scrufferton in their Deva form is actually what looks like three mirrors that twirl in a single spot, uh, sort of twirling around each other, each showing a reflection of yourself that has been twisted and contorted into different shapes. Around those mirrors, like between them all, is what looks like a javelin made of fire that they each spin around, almost like a carousel kind of, with like funhouse mirrors. 
So it's almost like you've got this this flaming axis, and then you've got the almost like fan blades, the uh, mirrors sticking out around the side, right? Okay, cool. Yep. I love that. When I'm looking at the reflections in the mirrors of me, is it talking to me as if it's it? So when it speaks to me, are those mouths moving? Those mouths move, yes. But they're all they're all contorted in different ways, right? Right. So one's happy, one's angry. One's like absolutely dead faced, showing the inner forms of your corruption. Yeah. Like whether it be the lack of kindness from your character. Yeah. Like showing those sort of infestations of your personality in these reflections, a la a portrait of Dorian Gray like showing the darkness within you within these three mirrors that are shifting spaces and forms and that it truly flies by just spinning the mirrors faster and just moving. The mirrors spin so fast that it forms like you're still seeing the reflection, but it becomes holographic. Yeah. Because it's reflecting it back out at you. Yeah. Becomes one version of you. That's awesome. Are you kind of beaming straight at the back of this air elemental, or are you coming around to get in front of it to block it off? In between, yeah. So the second thing I was going to say was uh, when you fly across the room like this, you are going to take attacks of opportunity from both the air elemental and... uh, Yep. Aram, I believe your character's name was just one. I am one. Correct. All right, so you can roll that attack. So as you transform one throws back their cloak this hulking metallic form emerges that just gets bigger as a shield unfolds out from its forearm and a sword appears from the other one and it just lunges at you that is going to be 14 plus 9 is 23. Is this magical damage? This is magical damage, yeah. my uh, All of my made weapons are magically infused. 13 points of damage. As it just like forms out of my wrist and just plunges into your side. Do Devas bleed? Spinning mirrors. Oh, right. <laughs> Spinning mirrors. <laughs> so no. What ends up happening though is that you slash it and where you slash uh, Professor Scrufferton, it leaves golden gashes. They don't bleed, they don't drip, but it's like a scratch across a mirror, like a golden scratch. (laughs) Professor Scrufferton in this form says, Be not afraid, young Norville. I am here to help. What? Scruffy, this is... (laughs) and he just babbles to himself he has no idea what's going on just terrified do you have anything else you want to do with your turn nope i can only action and move because transforming is an action uh so next up is the air elemental who uh really just has the one thought which is collect boy collect boy correct uh good air elemental So it looks at you, now just kind of slowly and lazily pivoting, sees every once in a while as the right orientation of the mirrors happens, just this slice straight through you to normal. And so it just takes an air quotes step forward. 
An air elemental can occupy the same space as a hostile creature, so it just moves into you and now is the air that you're rotating through. Mm -hmm. And it's going to try to grab Norval. Yeah. Good. Roll a grapple attack for air. It's D&D. Well, I mean, the first one is... It has multi-attack, so it can technically try twice. Uh, The first one is a natural one versus Norville's nine. Hey, the air tripped. Yeah, so it's trying to basically resist this current that the... uh, that the Deva is generating, and it just can't quite manage it. The next one is it tries to lunge forward, and Norval just, like, scrambles up on top of the stove. Like, you can see these shitty, <laughs> like, kind of, like, wood-soled shoes, like, starting to singe as he gets too close to the burner. But the air elemental rolled a total of, like, 11, and he rolled a 14. So, like, Norval <laughs> is just scrambling, like, as far up the... Like, almost into the chimney. It's just like, I... This... This seems like it's not supposed to happen. Was not supposed to happen for many years, young Norville. <laughs> and now it's Norville's turn. Norville is going to immediately, like, just grab at a frying pan and swing vaguely in the direction of the air elemental. <laughs> Please make sure you do not burn yourself on the stove, young Norville. Norville has, of course, rolled a six on his frying pan. So, uh, yeah, that doesn't. He is swinging a frying pan at a cloud. So Yeah, shockingly, shockingly doesn't hurt it. Yeah. So yeah, Norval is now backed fully. His shoes are starting to catch fire as he stands on the edge of a stove and tries to beat back at a cloud with a frying pan. Aram, do you want to take a turn? Look upon your gods. Look how weak they are and tremble and extends one of his arms and all the ruins like spin and line up and the just whole arm begins to glow and crackle with electricity as I fire a bolt of lightning at you. Lightning bolt is a dexterity save DC 17. So you do realize that lightning is an area of effect, right? It's a... Yeah, it's a bolt. It goes, it's a 10-foot bolt. Yeah. I figure he's just outside. I'm not trying to fry. I need... I feel like it's going to hit the air elemental and the, and like, the deva. That's why I was asking. I assume that you're not, like, trying to murder Norval. Sweet goddamn boy that he is. No, no, he's my bargaining chip. I can't murder him. Your air elemental is going to take half damage. Positive note, I have advantage against uh, any magic for being a Deva. That's helpful. Yeah, I'm going to take half damage too here. And I rolled kind of low. So that's 27 points of damage halved is going to be 13. And actually bounces between the mirrors then fires off in the wrong direction. Love it. That's great. <laughs> Norville does not take this well, but also we're just at incoherent stammering at this point. So we're going to come back to the top of the initiative order. RK, you're going. I would like to once again say, Young Norville, please, the stove will set your wooden clogs on fire. You will need your feet on the long road ahead. Oh, no. (laughs) And then I would like to roll to attack the air elemental who is like the big threat right now i don't give a crap about this warforge 22 to hit 22 will hit an air elemental so that's gonna be six bludgeoning damage 20 radiant damage okay 
You want to know what else to spawn? Multi-attack? I get a second attack. So with my bonus, that is a 16 to hit? Uh, 16 just hits. That is going to be a 3 bludgeoning damage, plus 21 radiant damage. Can you tell me what it looks like when this Davis swings its mace? Maybe for mortals it looks like a mace, but that's not what it looks like with the Deva. Uh, that flaming spear that's within like the center of these mirrors turns sideways. So it's like through the center, like almost ghostly through the center of these mirrors and just begins spinning and goes boop, boop, <laughs> smacking once and then <laughs> twice and then goes back to like straight up and down position. What the air elemental is going to do with its turn, it's going to use an ability called Whirlwind. Each creature in the elemental space must make a strength saving throw. It's a very low DC, so you'll probably pull it off, but it's worth a shot. On a failure, you take some bludgeoning damage and you're flung 20 feet away from the air elemental in a random direction, knocked prone. Is our line cook within that range? No. 19. So that's going to succeed. Uh, So you are going to take... 13 divided by 2. You're going to take 6 bludgeoning damage. I believe you have resistance against that. Yep. Uh, You're going to take 3 points of damage as this thing just like actively sucks into itself and tries to kind of buffet you with every ounce of its being. The mirrors at this point start showing the cloud, except it's like a rain cloud now and it's sad. (laughs) Because it's not doing much. (laughs) Norval is going to take the disengage action or the withdraw action or whatever the fuck they call it in this edition and he's just trying to like actively press against the wall and inch around towards the window I'm gonna say that the end of his move speed is basically front half out the window ass end in Aram uh, there are some legs a couple of mirrors a flamey stick and a big angry cloud there are also screams coming from behind you uh, the bartender, they seem very, very flustered at this point. Don't know what to do. He's holding, like, a fairly rudimentary club. They've also got the look on their face of just, I don't think this is a good idea. What would you like to do? What I want in this moment is I make a calculation. I need to be faster. So I'm going to cast haste. For the time being, uh, gives me a plus two bonus to AC and advantage on my deck saves. Uh, after I cast haste, I am going to zip over to the window and just be right next to it. To hopefully grab this human on my next turn. I don't know haste in this edition. Does it give you like an extra action event or any sort? Gives you an extra attack action if you take an attack. So I can attack three times now. And it lasts for um, a minute or concentration. Have you passed my space? I have definitely zipped right through your space. My AC is currently 26. 24. You've probably never seen this before, but my armor is so good. I'm able to get my shield up that I actually deflect your blow. Cool. Uh, we have this Warforged going after the young man, Norville, and we have an air elemental. Current threat is now the Warforged. Uh, so first attack against Warforged. That's not going to hit because it's not high enough. 
That one is. That was an 18, which is exactly what I need. Five bludgeoning damage. I can absorb three of that. 22 radiant damage. That hurt. And I'm going to tell Norville, Norville, your butt is still inside the building. This seems unsafe. The air elemental is going to try to start making grabs for Norville. So that is a 14 versus a 9 in Norville's favor. As basically the tornado arm finally just like sticks out and sucks. And you can see as his legs kind of kick and he gets pulled back into the uh, window and he's holding onto the edge and he comes back still clutching a fire frying pan. But he is now kind of like encapsulated in this tube of whirling air. Aram, it is your turn. You see me just focus and all the gears spit and the little discs align and my whole body lights up with energy as this field of force of magic seems to pulse out from me. How many hit points do I heal, Dylan? You don't heal any. You gain 14 temporary hit points. Sorry. Excuse You're me. a GM, for fuck's sake. This is your character sheet. As I was saying, I gave 14 <laughs> temporary hit points as a bonus action from boosting myself up, and then I just launch at you. I'm going to do three straight attacks. 17 for the first one. 18 to hit, and then 17 to hit again. All three hit. 10 points of damage plus 11 points of damage is 21 plus 19 points of damage. 30, 40, 40, 40. points of damage as I'm just coming in with this arm blade and just slicing up these mirrors. One golden gash after the next. You will give me what I want. Young Norville, be brave. Strike at the sad cloud. Norville immediately looks up at you with first an expression of fear and then an expression of confusion and then an expression of confused fear. (laughs) The air elemental is apparently very, very bad at grapple checks because it takes its entire attack action to catch Norville again. Norville just turns ambiently with the fucking frying pan in a golf swing, except without his legs planted on the ground. So it becomes one of those things that like fully spins him. And he just swings in a way that like, there have been fragments of that blue sapphire just floating around in this. And there's been one large hunk just kind of central to this thing's constitution. And that golf swing causes Norval to do like two or three full spins, just going to hit that sapphire across the room into the stove shatters on the fucking actual chimney and the fragments of the sapphire rain into the soup that they've just had boiling for the past four days norval hits the ground he's okay but he's on his back holding a frying pan looking like less scared now but more confused again it's hard not to root for norval so norval's down on the ground away from this man Dylan, GM to GM. Yep. Can I forego my entire attack action, both attacks, to throw our good friend one through the wall out of the bar? Absolutely, yes. So what I'm going to... The way I'm going to rule this is we're going to use your multi-attack thing for this. 
The first one is going to be a grapple check. Mm-hmm. The second one will roll like an attack and we'll just fluff it as going through the wall and it'll deal your weapon damage. That cool with you? Great. Yes, that's fantastic by me. Beauty. So a grapple check. Yeah, how do you do that? How do you grapple me? How is How does that work? Uh, the spear stays straight up, but the three mirrors, instead of floating around each other lengthwise, all go to one side. Two of them grab your sides and one of them goes on top of your head <laughs> to sort of like hold you in a like little a, box. Like a box. <laughs> yep. And then just shove me. <laughs> yep, that's what they're attempting to do. <laughs> okay, great. So you see all the servos. I have a thing in my armor where if it's a strength check, it gives, it gives me a little boost because they all kind of line up. Let's see if that helps me at all. Ooh, I've got a six. I rolled a one plus five is six. Aram, you're kind of fucked on this one because I rolled an 18. Yeah, that's definitely going to work. It was just too quick. I didn't expect the mirrors to shove me. All right, now I want you to just roll this next one as a straight attack. Oh, damn it, your AC is 26, right? Yeah. It's a 25. Oh, so close. I rolled a 17 plus eight. You know what? I turn into a little shield ball and I roll with it because I've got my shield out and therefore negate all the damage from this 30 foot throw. Then that's what we're going to do. We're gonna, I don't want to lose like the general coolness of this effect. So it's you still slam him through the wall. He just immediately recognizes what's going on and puts the shield in the middle. So it winds up being this ball of shield and mirror just slamming through the wooden and stone wall of this kitchen. Fantastic. He's outside now. This is true. So I would like to do something fun. Please. And fly into the air. Up about 30 feet. Sure, yeah. And you drag him with him, because with you, because he's grappled. Oh, no, I fully don't want to take him with me. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. going to leave me in the dirt. Yeah, yeah. I want to leave him in the dirt and be floating in the air with the spear and be like, you have made a mistake coming here to threaten the life of young Norville. He is not a part of this contest. If you wish to come get the mace, come get the mace. Or perhaps I should bring it down to you. Aram, strictly speaking, you technically get your uh, attack of opportunity, but also I feel like that's with the grapple and everything. I feel like we can forgo that also because I feel like it takes away from the coolness of the moment. You were left like in the dirt looking up at this thing, like picking yourself up. Your servos are supercharged. You are processing information at a way higher speed. You are taking the bits of Deva lore that match with what you're seeing and the bits that don't and scrapping and recalculating it. Everything is going at extraordinary speed, but you're still processing a huge amount of information, which is why you don't notice when a dipshit boy comes out from that wall and charges with a frying pan above his head. And now I'm going to roll 2d6 because Norval rolls a critical hit Wow. to clock you in the head with a frying pan. Norval <laughs> is going to deal eight points of bludgeoning damage, and I want you to wear that with shame. Leave the mirrors alone. They're my friend and dog. Good for you, Norval. No wonder he's the chosen one. Look how quickly he's adapted to this situation and decided how to act. Oh, no, he's got that tone where it's like, if anything else happens today, he's going to cry. 
Right. But he's just managing to part this. I don't think he's ready for my next turn then. <laughs> okay, it's your turn. You have been hit by a pan. There is a floating mirrors and spear. And your day is going not necessarily as well as you hoped it would. Yes, I am very frustrated. The town is now in absolute fucking panic because there was a smashing noise and now there's a pillar of flying fire. Uh, and people have been coming out saying that there are monsters in the tavern. I've been struck, so it did distract my attention. He hit me actually fairly hard, considering. I'd look down at him and back up at this angel above me and just smile. This is how weak you are. Lift up one hand, close my fist, and the ring around my metallic finger aglows. I'm putting all three points into Ring of the Ram and just going to nail them with all three charges. Well, hopefully. Let's see. 17 plus 2 is 19. That's going to hit? That is going to be all three. So that is going to be... Six die ten force damage. Forty points of damage as it just slams into you. You need to make a strength save to not get knocked back further. If you're not worried about it because of your fly speed, we can just elect to fail the save. Yeah, I'll fail the save. Norville goes before this Warforged, correct? Yes, he does. Okay. I would like to hold my action and say to Norville, Norville, please take a few steps back. Thank you. (laughs) And I would like to hold my action. Say an if-then statement. If Norville steps back an appropriate distance, I would like to use one of my abilities. Okay. Norville looks up and has just like this look of horror. Just like... Okay, okay, mirror, dog. I'm going to, while they're stepping backwards, I need to make a constitution save because they hit me with a frying pan. That's right. That is a four. (laughs) So I lose my haste. You know what's great about haste, though? (laughs) Technically, you wouldn't have been able to do that spell against me, the Ring of the Ram. Why not? Because on the turn after haste ends... You can't take movement or actions because you're exhausted. Okay, on this next one, I'll take it because we already did it. But yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. You're right. It totally would have negated that. Yeah, kind of stumble onto one knee as all my servos like. Then uh, Norval, like I said, just has that look of horror, carefully backing up his movement speed. Smart waving that frying pan back and forth in front of him (laughs) as if it's a deterrent. As Norville steps back, Professor Scrufferton, with their 120 feet range of telepathy, says, Be not afraid, mortals. I am Professor Scrufferton. (laughs) That's my dog! A being sent from the gods to bring about a destiny told from beyond the ages and this evildoer must be struck down witness holy might and dylan yep i would like to shed the form of a deva 
and fall down upon the now unable to move or act artificer as a Tyrannosaurus Rex <laughs> from 45 feet in the air. RK is going to make a kind of standard issue uh, attack roll. Mm-hmm. And that's going to set your difficulty because he now has a much larger cross section. <laughs> the dexterity save that you're going to make has a DC of his attack roll. Okay. And you have disadvantage because you have much further to scramble. That with the bonus is going to be a 23. 18 plus five is 23. So strictly speaking, Aram, you take this thing entirely on the shield. You, you're you fine because the shield master ability does grant you zero damage if it would half the damage. Just the right angle. So this giant ass lizard rolls off harmlessly instead of crushing me. You are impacted into the ground like your feet sink a good oh. foot as a dinosaur and everyone in town just screams, Dragon! Uh, If I actually had lungs, he would have knocked the air right out of him. So you don't get to act because of the exhaustion effect of haste. RK, you you get to T-Rex it up. So I'm going to go ahead and do a whole bite. Uh, with the <laughs> bonus, that is a 28. That, that'll hit. That'll definitely hit. I'm just pulling up the T-Rex stats right now because I'm curious. Uh, 4d12 plus 7 piercing damage. Fuck. Oh. That's a lot of damage. Yeah, they got a big old mouth. Also, you get to use a d12. Not often. You get to crank that one out. That is going to be 34 piercing damage. It's only 31 because you have that thing, Aram. Uh, oof, okay, I am. I look really, really, really hurt. This Deva, who is a T-Rex, bites you and picks you up and holds you in that mouth. You are grappled and restrained, which means that uh, your speed becomes zero. You can't benefit from bonuses to your speed. Attack rolls against you have advantage. Uh, Your attack rolls have disadvantage and you have disadvantage on dex saves. Norval is on the ground, looking down, looking up, looking at the leg, looking at the robot, looking at the T-Rex. Young Norval, this is the power you will one day wield. Professor? Aram, it's your turn. Like I said, you're restrained at the moment, so you can still basically take a full turn. You can take an action to try to escape that grapple. You are 10 feet in the air right now. I am so almost dead. Like, like robotic eyes hanging out, there's sparks going, I'm broken open. Like there's so little left and my character is so mad and just so filled with rage because they were so sure they'd done so much research, they prepared so much and it's gone so poorly. It's not about winning or it's not about like, you know, surviving. It's about lashing out with as much fury as possible at the end. And so they grab the teeth that are like impacted into their chest and they pull themselves up just so they can stare you right in your little beady lizard eyes. And I cast Thunder Wave. At fourth level, I need a constitution save. Do I have, do they have disadvantage because I'm, I'm, I'm in their mouth? No, uh, because it's... Come on! That's not how that works, but... <laughs> I know, I know. 
18. Oh, it was a 17. It's so close. It's so close. <laughs> All right, so you take half damage. Well, here's the thing. I also still have the advantage, advantage from being a Deva. So just, just insult to injury. Right, sure. 19. On a failed save, two to eight damage. Okay, interesting. So on a on a failed save, you take half damage. So it'd normally yep. be five die eight. So let me roll that first. So that total is 20. On a successful save, you take half. So you take 10 points of damage. You blast those jaws open and it hurts certainly. And you get flung up in the air and there's a moment of just like, at least I heard it. At least it's going down. And then you see, like, once its head turns, the side eye, because, I mean, eyes on the side of the head, uh, it just sees you, and it turns and grabs you out of midair again. And you find yourself exactly where you started Son with a, a slightly angrier Tyrannosaurus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have, like, both arms gone, one leg gone. Eye hanging out, neck gashed open, sparks shooting out. I'm just a broken doll at this point. You have one hit point left, correct? Yeah, I have one little hit point left. You hear in your mind, do you yield? And like he calculates, but he does. Because in the end, he's smart. And there's always more time. So yes, he yields. Transformer noise. T-Rex places you on the ground at one hit point, takes the tail, and I would like to knock out. <laughs> Just whap. We won't even worry about the roll, because, like, <laughs> he was restrained, he was in your mouth, you could have crushed him, so it's just narrative. You put him down and then just slam him. So he's just an imprint in the ground. It is not dead, but this Warforged is no longer in the fight. Deva turns back into a dog, fully just transforms back into Professor Scrufferton, uh, is going to lick the Warforged head a few times to stabilize them, and then paddle back in to the bar and look at Norville and say, Young Norville, hello. I am Professor Scrufferton, and I am a very good boy. If you want to suggest creatures for future episodes or talk about the monsters we've discussed on the show, head on over to our Discord. You can find links on killeverymonster.com. And we'll see you next time for Kill, Kill Every, Every Monster. Monster. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. 
The uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. The ancient mountainous deserts to the south of Faerun are the places where mortals first raised great temples and unlocked powerful secrets. A kingdom once fractured by infighting has been united under the iron claw of the red dragon, Chazar. The Great Lizard's quest for immortality has become an all-consuming obsession. His need for worshippers has set him on a path against the old gods of these lands, and they will not go quietly. An unlikely cabal of deities has banded together to undermine Jazar and ensure that their temples remain protected and active. They've traced tendrils of fate to preferred timelines, then selected five mortals who had the best chance of bringing those futures to fruition. You will take on the role of one of these chosen in Death to the Dragon King. Find out more about this Start Playing Games campaign and all of my other available games at aram.gay.